So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. and welcome to what may be the final episode of Running Rugby Podcast for 2018. We've had a bit of time since those final internationals for the year, one last Barbarians game. Um, you've got Toby, Leo and myself here to chat to you and take you through it and let's have a look at back at 2018, a little bit of a review for Australian rugby and what we have to look forward to in 2019. We've got a big year coming up with the World Cup. We've got Global Rapid Rugby, a brand new competition that's going to start early next year um, and probably uh, another chance for the Wallabies and a new look, potentially, coaching team. But we'll get into that all in a sec. Liam and Toby, I think we should, we should definitely jump into the England Wallabies game just to start with. Uh, obviously, a few controversies starting off with the selections in this game, um, all the way from Adam Ashley Cooper and Beale not being eligible through a late-night curfew violation uh, through to not having some of our favourites like Taniella Tupu and Jake Gordon on the bench here. What are your guys' thoughts? I thought the selections were terrible. Um, I'm, I feel like... I remember a couple of years ago, Cheka, when he was picking a squad, he picking a team, I was always in agreement with it, apart from one or two players. And I feel like the... Particularly this year... The longer it goes on, it seems that he's picking stranger and stranger combinations, mixing things up, almost just searching for answers where there seems to be none to be found here. And persevering with Foley at 12, you know, starting Maddox, having Naivalu and Korobiti on the bench together, covering the back spots, not having Taniella there at all. There's just so many questions there that I don't think make any sense. Like, I don't see how... He's piecing this team together, really. I don't know what you guys think, but I thought this was a terrible selection in terms of across the board. Yeah, on paper, it just it didn't look like a strong team. Um, it, it definitely didn't look like a team which had many existing combinations, particularly when you look back to super level. A lot of these guys are paired up next to people they don't play all their rugby with, which is um, sort of missed opportunities. And obviously, leaving someone like Beal out means that you don't get the Foley-Beal combination we're still dumbstruck that Jake Gordon isn't getting more of a run. Um, you know, you've got Pocock out while he's he's still under an injury cloud. But then there didn't seem to be reasons for, for people like Taniella. And and it just didn't look like the strongest lineup we can field, regardless of form. It, it definitely looked like someone who was searching for, for a, a new combination that might spark things. And the tactics also, I still don't, I disagree with the tactics used on the field for the players' skill sets. I think they finally used Falau uh, the way he's supposed to be used, cutting cutting hard through the line from depth and giving him the, the chance to break the line and just get into open space. But there were very few uh, examples of that in this game, which is, again, a bit disappointing to finish the tour. Yeah, definitely a little bit of disappointment. And we sort of looked like we were on the back foot from pretty early on. England got that early try through Johnny May, um, through a bit of a kerfuffle with us trying to clear it out of our own quarter. We did sort of fight back towards the end of that first half. 
But then, of course, just before halftime, we have the chance to go ahead um, into the halftime break. But then what seems like another controversy, which it seems like we're talking about this every week in those England games. But Isaac Rodder gets through a bit of a small gap, five metres out, and Owen Farrell plots what I think we can all agree looks like a blatant shoulder charge on Isaac Rodder. To his credit, drops him with it. But we had a penalty advantage that gets blown up. But Jaco Piper refuses to go back and look at this any further. And it looks like in all replays since then, it looks like it was easily a yellow card, if not a penalty try. Yeah, no doubt. And I look, it was a big hit. You can't dispute that, but it was illegal. There weren't arms in the tackle. Um, and he has a history of this. Like we, we have to be looking at this more closely, particularly in a game where, I mean, the stakes are pretty high. This was leading into halftime, right? This yeah. was in the period where the Wallabies were kind of fighting back, building that momentum. And Rodder, I just don't think that Farrell could have stopped him without using those tactics. I don't see it. I think if he went low, Rodder would have stretched out and scored. This was pretty much his only possible chance of stopping him. And he took a risk and he got away with it again. So I don't know. I don't know what the solution here. The refereeing seems to be inconsistent. We saw such strong emphasis on these illegal tactics in Super Rugby, where they were being super harsh on on any sort of high hits or shoulder charges, anything like that. And then in the international, on the international stage, just t- seems to be a completely different interpretation. And there's there's no change in the rules across those two formats. So explain that to me. I'm not too sure how that works. Yeah, it's disappointing the lack of consistency. And the only thing I can think of is that. If, if Paper didn't see it the first time, he'd be told to keep the game moving. He may have, on reflection, felt like, oh, I probably could have called that. The only thing that might have tipped him over the edge might have been the TMO in his ear saying, no, you definitely you get a second opinion, you definitely should be looking at that. And that's what they also went away from in these autumn tests, that they didn't want the TMO interjecting because they didn't want it slowed down as much. So I guess by doing that, perhaps this was one of the occasions where you wish they did still intervene but you take the good with the bad there's there were decisions where the TMO was intervening in the earlier in the year in the other tests and and we were completely boggled by the fact that they were interfering in what was pretty steady general play so good with the bad uh, pretty disappointing for the Wallabies that would have been a try under the posts and potentially going into half time up by four points instead of level at 13 all and I think it's not so much that the TMO is interjecting because this was going to be a stoppage anyway like it was a penalty they were going to set up for a penalty goal it's a time for them easily to have a to have a look and when it's a decision that's going to change um the course of the game whether that's by giving points to the wallabies or taking a man off the field with a yellow card i have no problem with them doing that but but it was just the the instruction for this season was that they won't interject um in you know during the half like mm. it, only when called upon so that you didn't have that choice I agree that it was a stoppage and it, it wouldn't have slowed things down that much, but it's just pretty much been ruled out. It just wasn't an option at all uh, for these tests, so that's why we definitely weren't going to see it from them and disappointing paper couldn't get it right on his own. Yeah, well, I'm not really not really enthused at the fact that we're going to have some of these similar refs, and I just really hope that we don't have the same controversy in all these games in the Rugby World Cup next year. That's what they really need to focus on, um, getting... a consistent set of rules that refs are going to adhere to in time for the Rugby World Cup next year because if you're having 
controversy in one or two games every sort of round in the Rugby World Cup. Like this, these things that have been going on during these sort of um, end-of-year internationals, then there's going to be so many countries up in outrage about this, and it's it's just not going to make for an enjoyable tournament. And and to your point, enjoy like having an enjoyable experience, enjoying watching the game, whether it's live or at home. Um, like they they want the speed of the game up, they want more ball in play. So understand where all those. Um, sort of changes for the autumn tests are coming from, but it's going to be very interesting to see if they if they retain that. They've jumped into two different forms this year. Which one are they going to roll out and stick with for the World Cup year? We want that to be consistent, uh, and and I also really hope, like as a as a TV viewer from the other side of the world, I hope the um, World Cup TV crew are doing a better job because the commentary in this game was garbage, and the sideline analyst would chime in every five minutes but with, with topics from 10 minutes earlier. And it's just like I, I was frustrated at what was happening on the field. And then the actual presentation of this game was garbage as well. It was slow and it was sloppy and just all, all around. Like there was very little positives to take out of it as a viewer as well. Yeah, I think that, I mean, we've seen with the Australian commentary team for Fox Sports, there's one or two guys that are quality and the rest are pretty average. Um and that's that. That is a shame because you turn on some of the Kiwi coverage, and it's a lot more. I guess they delve into a lot of more the technical aspects of the game, um, and they speak to it more specifically. Whereas you just hear, hear a lot of general comments from the Australian commentary team, and South Africans aren't too much better either. Um, so I think yeah, we do need to work on that. It's whether you need new people in there or I don't know. You just need to get these guys in a room and actually get them focused on talking about the right things. Well, the feed I had wasn't even Australians. It was the Northern Hemisphere guys. So I was watching yeah. the, what would have been maybe a local commentary up there, and it's pretty disappointing hearing, oh, and they've, you know, just general commentary like you're calling a horse race. You know, you want some some sort of analysis to really generate some com- conversation. Yeah, let's leave the generic and quiet, I guess, <laughs> simple comments to league and let's actually be a bit more intricate in what we're doing in union because there is a lot more to talk about um in our game um and look it's going to be interesting over the summer the cricket and these new kind of telecasters coming in and they're kind of mixing up what they do with cricket you wonder whether they need to do that with rugby and have more of a a split kind of i know a split coverage in terms of fox sports and maybe someone else stepping in because that can shake things up as well so i think we need to be a little bit more aggressive in the way that we coverage cover the game um and and be a little bit more forward thinking Mm. that's fair enough but let's looking back at this game um obviously we've talked about the selection bit of the controversy with adam ashley cooper and beale um there's also been some more comments after this about whether checker will retain his job um he's got his evaluation in front of the rugby australia board there has been sort of plans to discuss with Jake White from Rugby Australia, but then they got leaked and so have now been cancelled. But you've had other sort of notable uh, rugby analysts in Australia coming out and saying that, okay, maybe Checker doesn't need to go. All the assistants should go, though, and lining up some of these other names to um, question whether these people need to come in um, to try and help the Wallabies rugby. Where do you guys stand? Do you think, one, do you think Checker retains his job? It seems probably most likely. And two, what do you think in terms of assistance? I think you have to retain Checker just because I don't think there's anyone 
out there at the moment that deserves to take his spot at such short notice. Um, but I think it's a different story when it comes to the assistants. I think Nathan Gray, although he had a bit of success with the Waratahs and, and winning that title alongside Checker in 2014, the Wallabies, if you kind of rule out a couple of good performances in the World Cup in 2015, like against Wales, where we defended so well, you know, in the last three years... We've been pretty lackluster in our defence and we've been leaking points all over the place. I don't think he deserves to keep his spot in the coaching team there. And similarly with Larkham, this year particularly we've been struggling to score points. So then his kind of coaching ability comes into question. There has been some suggestion um, from the general media that the guys actually in the back line there are struggling to be able to I guess, think on their feet, be creative and implement a lot of Larkham's strategies. So he's actually just really dumbed it down and made it very, very straightforward, very simple. Mm. But in that, I think we're just so easy to read as an attack overall. Teams are just working us out very quickly. So I'm not sure if Larkham can't seem to um, adjust and be able to teach these guys effectively, maybe we do need a change there as well. Well, for the first time in probably... I think it's over 20 years. We've averaged less than 20 points a game uh, for the 2018 season. Um, And we were also top five in points conceded in world rugby this year. So as as you're pointing out, it's both attack and defense that we're really letting ourselves down. Yeah. No, I was more just going to say that Australia in the past, we, we could always score pretty, you know, a decent amount of points and we could defend well when we needed to. And like you said, Arch, now it just seems like both things have been blown out of proportion. We're doing neither well. And I don't actually think that comes down to Checker's coaching because he's there as a man manager. He's actually there as an overall person controlling what goes on in camp, being a leader, inspiring people. When it comes down to the tactics in both defense and attack, it's Larkham and Gray. So we need to remember that, I think. And the idea that Larkham has... Um, like a master strategy that he's trying to implement, but he's struggling to do that with the resources he's got to, to choose to simplify the the systems to allow the players to pick them up. I don't know. To me, to me, that's that's one solution. But surely, surely, you should be looking at what you do have and and trying to you know create more opportunities from their skill sets than than trying to force them into the structure, which is a point we've been making for weeks they look like they're playing to a script it's predictable and it doesn't give them room to play what's in front of them and the most exciting rugby can be the unscripted the counter-attacks the open field and and that's the stuff we, we'd like to see them uh being able to make their own decisions and 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 make them in the moment to have a to have a overall system that they're trying to implement at the wallabies level if it's not working maybe maybe larkham's better suited in the long term, in one of the um, sort of development groups within the Rugby Australia model, and and that way he can be sort of trying to roll a, an, an evolving strategy out with younger players, a bigger pool of people, and and that way that gives you uh, more opportunity to bring that through from a young age where the guys learn it early, rather than trying to teach established players a brand new system that changes, makes a lot of change, and doesn't give them a chance to to use the skills that have got them there over the past six, eight, ten years. And you make a good point, Leah. This is the thing. It starts with grassroots, and we've been saying this for a long time now. 
Um, but it is going to take a fair amount of time for for one to implement those strategies and, and the coaching across the board from um, players at a young age and then having them come through. Another point, I just I find it hard to believe that Will Genia, Kirtley Bill, Bernard Foley, um, Matt Tamua, these type of guys can't learn intricate systems. I just I find that hard to believe. The amount of experience they have, they've won titles, they've won rugby championships, they played in World Cup finals. I just I don't see that as a, a good excuse. I don't I don't quite believe it. I could believe it with some of the fringe players, some of the guys that play on the edge, guys like Corabidi, maybe even Falau, I don't know. Some of these guys maybe with less of a rugby brain where they're just they're good athletes, they're quick, um, and they can score tries, but they don't think a lot about some of the the really intricate backline plays. But these main playmakers, they, they should be, I think, they should be easily be able to pick up these sort of things that Larkham's throwing at them. Yeah. I, I just wonder if it's a cop-out, you know? If that's Larkham's excuse, and maybe it's a failing on his part to be able to actually teach what he's actually trying to implement. That's But that's what I was saying, that you, you it's it's a top-down versus bottom-up approach. You, you're saying, here's my strategy, and you're pushing that down to your playing stocks versus looking at that strategy that utilizes all the positives of their games that they that they bring naturally and, and trying to construct something with that. But then with a guiding hand of, well, this is the general style we want to play. How do we do that with what with the players we've got? It's, it's everything looks scripted and, and overstructured. Guys don't look like they're able to make free decisions and it makes us look predictable. And other teams are doing a better job of breaking it down and putting us under a lot of pressure. Mm. Yeah. And England was obviously no exception to that. They took this game 37 to 18 um, in what was a disappointing final game for the Wallabies and a disappointing season for the Wallabies in 2018. Um, let's go around some of the other results from two weeks ago in the internationals. We had Italy going down to New Zealand, uh, 66 to 3. No surprises there. Uh, we had Scotland beating Argentina in a hard-fought victory, 14 to 9, up in Murrayfield. Um, congratulations, Scotland, for that. A um, couple of the smaller nations, Georgia beating Tonga, 20 to 9. Japan beating Russia in Gloucester, 32 to 27. That's a preview of the Rugby World Cup pool. Um, Spain losing to Samoa, 10 to 28. Uh, probably the biggest upset of the weekend. Wales took down South Africa, 20 to 11, um, solidifying their place at third in the world. And also Fiji took down France. Um, in Paris, and that's 21 to 14. And that put a few people on notice, uh, Fiji have, with some strong performances in this end of year tour. And they're probably someone that Australia needs to be a bit scared of because they're, they're in our pool next year. Yeah, you look at these teams having a, having a great lead up year to the World Cup. Obviously, um, Fiji and Wales, the ones for Wallabies to focus on being in the same pool. And Wales have had a great year by most accounts. Like they've beaten us. Just a, a hoodoo they've been trying to break for a decade, and um, Fiji on the rise, and and then you look at the other stronger teams who are still having good contests, and and again the All Blacks who get to play have you know had a strong season. They get to play a middling opponent in Italy, and they rolled out a few extra players and got a bit more development because they're in a position to do that. And you know all all. All the roads are paved with gold for these guys. They're, they're having such a great run. They can do pretty much whatever they want, develop players where they need to, drop them into real games, drop them into those sort of second-tier games. 
and and poor Wallabies can't seem to get their best team on the park against any opponent. So a lot a lot to work on, and hopefully a, a, a bit of a break in the off-season, the guys will come back fresh and, and all the super sides will be a, a bit more aligned in 2019. Yeah, I, look, if you have a look at South Africa, they've turned things around this year, and they were abysmal last year. They had one of their worst seasons last year. Um, we're going through that now, so I'm hoping that um, by ne- this time next year, we're right back in in form, and you know we're at the latter half of the tournament for the World Cup. But it's going to take a lot of hard work, and it's going to take a lot of um, I don't know. I just think forward thinking from from maybe a new coaching panel because there are there are a lot of guys there that are going to be there. We know that, but I think it's just some guys that need to be brought in. Maybe some more younger guys different strategies, maybe some um, bigger forwards, ball running forwards, things like that. Um, so there's a lot to look at. And the only other game from the, that weekend that we haven't mentioned is Ireland versus USA and Ireland cruised to a 57-14 to 14 victory there. This past weekend we had one other game, which was Argentina versus the Barbarians team, more or less a South African contingent, coached by Razio Rasmus, uh, with a few key ring-ins of some New Zealanders, some Australians, including Luke Jones, um, former Rebels second rower, Tom English, current Rebels um, or captain or, or vice-captain um, and centres and outside back, and Jack Debrasini, who's recently moved to the Chiefs, as well as some of the Argentinian stalwarts, Leguizamon, who managed to get his first the first try of the game in this uh, versus home nation. But entertaining 10-try affair out of Twickenham there, um, capped off by a drop goal from Elton Yanksies in the 79th minute for the Barbars victory. Are you kind of interested to see what Jack Debrasini does at the Chiefs because I feel like the stars are aligning a little bit for him here he's yeah, been selected that's... for the Barbars he's playing well he looks happy you know if he can get into that Chiefs 23 I don't know I feel like we might regret giving him away it's an Ang- another Angus Tarvau someone well, else will know what to do with him and all of a sudden he'll be yes. playing for someone else's national I think, team and I think it's looking it comes down to man management and coaching and I think Jack Debrasini might still be able to be eligible for New Zealand. Yeah, he, he will be. He yeah. hasn't played for the Wallabies, and he's got ties to New Zealand. I think he grew up in Auckland, didn't he? He did. He's um, from Auckland. Originally. Born in Auckland, yeah. So, look, this is one of those things. Uh, I really hope it doesn't happen again. I, w- I wish him well, but it's, <laughs> we need to keep an eye on that. Absolutely wish him well. I, I think the point will be if, if he does uh, really develop well and, and become a big um, part of that team. will be another example where Australian rugby hasn't managed to develop someone who had that potential. Mm. And I think I think we had a lot of guys in, in past years at the Western Force. We saw Archu sharing a um, Luke Morahan video from the weekend. Guys like that who, who got a brief stint in the Wallabies but never quite cracked it. And then you go, you know, a couple of years later, they're playing over in the UK and beating English starting players down the sideline one-on-one. And you think, yeah. what happened? Where did, why did we lose track of these guys? Why didn't they get their opportunity? Why didn't we develop them better and, and capitalise on all that potential? If we see Jack Debrasini go to the Chiefs and turn into a star player, we'll just be wondering what our administrations are doing. Like, how did we, how did we miss that opportunity again? Yeah. It's, it's players like this that have outstanding raw talent and all the measurables um, that you'd want to see in a, in a test player in terms of his size, his boot, his passing ability, 
um, but just haven't quite managed to integrate that into a team well enough. But look, I'll, I'll have a sick feeling in my stomach if he turns into a star player for the Chiefs and even if he starts to be on that fringe sort of test player for the All Blacks, it will be absolutely sickening for me to see as a Wallabies fan. But I wish him all the best and uh, hopefully he gets he gets um, enough opportunity to you know showcase some of the talent that we know he has and Australian rugby knew he had and gave him such so many chances that but they just couldn't sort of bring it out for him. What he needs is one year at the Chiefs and then swing back round to the the Brumbies and play ten for them because they <laughs> still don't have a ten, do they? Really? Not at this time of recording. There've been a few Super Rugby signings, but. Uh, not, none that significant for the Brumbies, at least, that I can recall. Um, let's move on and talk about one of the other big things that's been um, coming up in the last couple of weeks, and this is Global Rapid Rugby that's replacing World Series Rugby in 2019. This is the brainchild of Twiggy Forrest, um, who's sought to not only retain the Western Force as a, a playing base for those Western Australian guys, but to expand sort of a new vision in rugby, a new vision in entertainment. Uh, this is a series that's going to start next year. few key rule changes, including shorter games, only at 70 minutes, rolling subs, so on and off. Um, no kick straight out from the 22, so aim to keeping the ball in hand. Scrum shot clocks, and also the ability to score what's called a power try with play beginning in your own quarter. Um Boys, I know you've had a little bit of a read of this. What What are your thoughts? It's It's a pretty great uh, setup. They've They've managed to get teams from a, a really broad group of countries in the sort of Asia Pacific region, uh, teams that you wouldn't have come across before. I think it's the first time we've had an international or, or a representative team from Malaysia, based out of Kuala Lumpur. Um, we've got a an unknown Japanese team at this stage, but then also the Singapore Singaporeese team, the Samoans, the Fijians. Uh, the the Tigers, the South South China South Tigers, China I think. Tigers. Yep. yep. So that's out of out of Hong Kong, mm-hmm. um, and then the Force and and a USA team, we believe. So um, look, there's there's you're bringing together a lot of uh, smaller nations and giving them a chance to get some exposure. And the rule changes will would be very interesting to see what kind of hybrid game we get from that. Somewhere probably with a bit more excitement from more of a sevens model keeping the ball in hand and, and minimizing stoppages. I'm, I'm, re- I'm really excited. I think it's going to be, it's, it's nice and local. The time zone changes aren't too severe for the players. Um, I, th- I think it could be really exciting and I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. Yeah, and particularly if they're able to get a lot of corporate money behind these teams because there's good expat communities throughout KL, Singapore, Hong Kong, um, and, I mean, if you get a team in Hawaii or something like that, there'll be plenty of money flowing through as well for the U.S. market. Um, and you're right, Lee, with the time zones, it's it's pretty perfect, um, particularly for East Coast viewers in Australia. Um, but I think across the board, it's it's contained within that region that, that is developing. And it's a different way of looking at the game. I think the only disadvantage I could see coming out of that is is whether, you know, are these guys going to be long-term eligible for Wallaby selection? If they're playing for, say, the Western Force, um, I know Rugby Australia signed off on this, but I don't know how it works in terms of contracting. But you know what? It's going to give a lot of guys a lot more opportunities to get exposure. And I think there is some suggestion that if it can get going um, over the next five years or so, it'll kind of put a stop 
to some degree of these guys going over to France, going over to England because they can they can earn a bit of money in this competition. There's no salary cap, I believe. No, no salary um, cap. So, so yeah, there's there's not those kind of constraints on the on the on the the teams themselves. Um, it could mean that there's kind of movement in and out of certain teams, um, and whether there's going to be a two tier system with relegation things like that, we'll have to see. But they're scrambling to get this together in the next couple of months, but it's going to be fascinating to see how it comes together. Yeah, so the other thing that they've mentioned is that they're looking at some of these marquee players to bring in, and they've thrown names like Dan Carter and Matt Guido around for this, but they've also said that once they have this group of marquee players, they're actually going to distribute them among the teams to make sure there is a bit of a even talent base. So I think you'll see a lot of players sort of moving between teams and things, and it might be sort of in the vein of that sort of IPL and sort of those 2020 cricket competitions where um, some of these sort of best players sort of will move around a little bit more freely. And the best part of that is hopefully from a very early stage, the teams will have some level of parity because the product wouldn't be as good if you had a team like the Western Force that are established, a team from, say, Fiji, who are, again, a lot of their international players potentially who are established um, to take on a new team like Malaysia or a new team like the, the South China Tigers. like You'd, you'd want to make sure that these games are competitive, so make sure that the product is, is enjoyable as possible. And it's interesting, if you can get the standard of that product, even if the standard begins below things like Super Rugby, things like Top 14 and all the main competitions, domestic competitions around the world, if you grow the standard, you may have players who don't get an opportunity locally getting an opportunity in, in those teams instead. And even some veteran players who choose to play a bit closer to home, they can still earn uh, reasonable money. Like if they're going to Europe, they can choose to stay a bit closer to home, still earn that money and, and share their experience and their uh, and their skills with, with these developing teams. And maybe, well, this thing's been signed off by the World Rugby Council as well. So everyone's, everyone's on board. It's not a breakaway. It's not a... Uh, renegade sort of setup. This is a sanctioned, full full competition, which should be um, you know respected like any other. And opportunity for selection in national teams from players out of this this global rapid rapid rugby group. You'd, you'd think that won't be far away if it's not already applicable. Yeah, they're managing to do a lot of things that Super Rugby has been talking about for a while and hasn't done. Um, an expansion properly into Asia, into the US market, perhaps. Um, and being able to consolidate games in, you know, time and being played at times that are good for the audiences, and and that's the problem with having South Africa at the moment in Super Rugby. It is perhaps just detracting from from certain games during those weeks where your 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 home team's travelling away over there, and you're just not going to be up to watch the game because you'll be sleeping. Um, that's not going to be an issue here, and I think even if in Hawaii, I think you're, you're going to have games that are going to be mid-morning, so maybe mid-morning games on a Sunday, similar to what you get out of the, the Jaguares games. Um, so that's going to be good as well. So there's not there's not a whole lot to, to complain about with this. I think it's, it's a pretty sound concept. I think last or this year, perhaps, with World Series Rugby, that was a little bit more all over the place, but it's nice to kind of have this under a new banner. You've got you know, guaranteed eight teams coming in from pretty notable locations and already guys, like you said, Dan Carter, Matt Guido, that are, that are interested. So 
all things are looking good. It's just, you know, hopefully they can get stuff all set up, stadiums ready, you know, things locked in for February and there's no delays with that. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see whether, as we said, different rule changes, whether those skills and whether these rules actually contribute to players sort of being able to translate them and that sort of running rugby game over to the regular sort of 15-man um, game in terms of getting into things like national teams and whether this is going to breed a whole sort of new sort of basis of players with a slightly different um, focus on that sort of rapid running rugby sort of type skills and whether that's going to benefit us overall. Yeah, I think it actually it has the potential to open the minds of you know world rugby more generally in terms of perhaps rule changes that make the game better. If you see a competition like this doing something differently and it, it works well, then I think that's really going to, you know, start brainstorming for world rugby into what they can change. And I think it's it's similar enough that we're not going to have issues with guys if they're qualified for the Wallabies, for example, playing global rapid rugby and then coming across and, and playing in the tests for the Wallabies. I think it's it's pretty translatable. It's not as different as, say, playing on a, a seven, sevens program or something like that where it's quite a significantly different game this is close enough um it'll probably just require maybe a bit more fitness for these guys which i think we can all attest to that the wallabies could use that as well it's um you know more fit ball in hand general skills is is something that the wallabies need to improve on so i think this can help a lot and the only other thing i'd add is i think originally we thought this was being based um, also, obviously, it's driven by Andrew Forrest, but it's actually being um, governed by the Hong Kong Rugby Union. Um, they had uh, Robbie McRobbie being interviewed uh, for their sort of opening rollout presentation and, and just the enthusiasm of, of that market. We, we know Hong Kong's massive for Rugby Sevens and they want, they want an exciting, engaging product. And I think that's a really good base. It, it, it feels like it's not encroaching on Rugby Australia. It's not really treading on anyone's toes, which gives it more of free license to to innovate and to to take on a bit of a market share without anyone feeling uh, attacked or or under threat. Which, if if any if any rugby association was going to feel under threat, then it would have been much more difficult to get this up and going. So they've done really well to bring these different groups in and and just governed out of Hong Kong. I think it's a really smart move. Did you say his name was Robbie Mick Robbie? His name is Robbie McRobbie. That is correct. <laughs> such a, That's great. Such a good name. I'm so How on board. How can you go now. wrong? I'm so on board. No, definitely exciting, and that there should be some preseason early next year, around the same time that we'll be hyping up for Super Rugby. So it's not far away at all. But moving away from that, look, we've got our final sort of rankings for 2018. Um, very different to what we'd expect. Australia sitting down there at six, um, topped off. At the top, New Zealand, Ireland, Wales, England, South Africa at five, ourselves, Scotland, Fiji at eight, France at nine, and Argentina sitting there at ten. So very different to, I think, what we would have expected coming into this year. But now we've got to start looking ahead at 2019 at a likely new look coaching staff for the Wallabies, a World Cup year, no June internationals, but we do get to enjoy a full rugby championship as well as a full super rugby season that's not long to before it starts to kick off and starts to hype up again. Boys, do you have anything that, one thing that you're looking forward to, a storyline in 2019 that you're most excited by? 
Yeah, definitely for me, 2019 being a World Cup year, there is a lot to look forward to. And I look, I hope we can prepare well for that tournament and, and really come come in firing. I think the emergence of new talent, guys like Issy Nicerani, Rob Valentini, I think Jake Gordon, we need to see more of him. We keep talking about it. Um, hopefully, Checker can make some some good selections. There's, there's some good young talent around. And um, we saw it even with the last game. Jack Dempsey is going to continue to improve. We have the building blocks there. We just need to be careful with the decisions we make and, and make sure these guys, when they come into the team, that they're ready. Um, so I think for me, I'm always looking forward to Super Rugby. Like you say, Arch, it's an un- uninterrupted season this year. I think teams like the Reds are going to be interesting to look at. Um, the Rebels have such a talented roster. Can they put it all together to threaten for the title? Can the Waratahs kind of continue that form they had late in the year? Um, this year so I think from an Australian perspective we're looking for a better year but there's yeah it's a bit uncertain at this point um, but we've just got to be positive I think stay positive and support rugby yeah look I'm, I'm excited about all the different competitions that are you know they've been the first year we've been around the first year they've been around we've got Super W we've got no rapid rugby we've got a straight Super Rugby season no, no interruptions like there's going to be so much to watch and, and so many different styles around and I think I'm, I'm similar to Toby I'm, I'm looking forward to those young players that we've seen a bit of this year getting more of an opportunity the Reds I think will be really exciting uh, that's that's their first year as this new unit and the second year I can I can only imagine they're going to get stronger you've got the second year of the Rebels under Dave Wessels after the merge with some of the Western Force players that surely they can only get stronger with some of the additions to their team the Waratahs and the Brumbies are going to have to watch their backs because I, I think it's going to be very competitive and, and that all uh, bodes well for a, a, a good pool of players to select for the Wallabies. And and meanwhile, yeah, like I said, there's something for everyone. There's there's the global rapid rugby for the for the Asian market uh, and we can be comparing that to Super Rugby week on week. And then you've got Super W and all the sevens. There's, there's no, no shortage of entertainment and... Um, yeah, I just can't wait to see those new players coming through. Definitely. Uh, it's going to be a massive year, 2019. You start to list all those tournaments and those um, competitions that we have. And it looks like we're going to have our work cut out for us covering all this um, next year. Um, oh, yeah. With with our final show of the year, I'd like to take the chance to just say thank you to all our listeners. Obviously, this is our first um, year ever doing this sort of podcast. It's been the brainchild of a couple of brothers that just love rugby and realize that every time we get together that's all we're sort of talking about and then realizing that maybe someone else might be interested in some of the stuff we have to say but we really enjoy all the support from all of you everyone who downloads everyone who listens we really want to thank all the people that have helped us in terms of family and friends all the players that have taken the time out to do a few interviews with us as well Um, we really appreciate it we want to keep improving this experience and making this podcast something that's entertaining to listen to but hopefully keeps you guys interested um, in rugby and keeps us looking forward to how good we can be within rugby Australia within the super rugby season and all these new competitions but once again the guys thank you so much for tuning in to us Um, remember you can find us on the social media on Instagram on Facebook at running rugby podcast or on Twitter at running rugby pod subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, as well as we're on Google Play and Stitcher if you have the Android phones. But 
Thanks again, guys. Merry Christmas. Enjoy the end of 2018 and get get psyched because 2019 is only going to be bigger and better. And remember, keep on running. Run. to Joe Schmidt or like someone now so we can get him for the Wallabies for 2020. <laughs> so so in your mind, check Who? it, ain't turning it around. Well, he's already said he's Joe going. Schmidt, no. He's already said he's yeah, going. Joe Schmidt, he's going to coach the All Blacks in 2020. Yeah, yeah but you sh- we should be trying to be like, done, no, man. man. Yeah, like, yeah. what's what's the bonus of coaching the All Blacks after they win again in the World Cup? Like, yeah, yeah. You, can you, you can only fail. You can only fail. Schmidt's going to... To finish out with Ireland after the World Cup, right? Yeah, exactly. So he's planning to win it with Ireland, right? And then build the All Blacks back up. Yeah. Um, after they back get the tournament from the top. Hole. But like... Uh, after it's Ireland in the final, then he's going to step in and take the All Blacks to the top. I reckon that's his plan.